Well, praise the Lord. God so loved the world. He gave his best for us. What a great week we have ahead of, ahead of us. For those of you that don't know, of course, we have church on Sunday. Uh, but we'll be here every night next week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, from 7.30 to 9 uh, for prayer and seeking the face of, of the Lord this week as, as sometimes in the midst of Easter bunnies and cooking ham for the family gatherings, we forget that this is actually uh, the, the greatest holiday of the year. Because although Christmas is wonderful and Jesus was born and that's, that's, that's wonderful. And, uh, but if there was no resurrection, we probably wouldn't have been telling about the birth of Jesus. It was the resurrection that really brought everything into fulfillment. Because Jesus did something that no other person that ever claimed or entity that ever claimed to be God did. And he rose from the dead. He conquered hell in the grave. Shutting all the mouths of all the naysayers and doubters saying that he was in a grave and he was finished and he was done. And they finally got rid of this pesky teacher. But he rose from the dead. And proved himself to have all power and authority over all things. So that's why this week is so important. Because as, as, as we celebrate the Easter week, realize that we have a faith, we have a... Uh, a belief system, a religion, if you want to call it, called Christianity because he resurrected from the dead. Amen. And substantiated everything that he didn't said up until that point. Praise the Lord. So be sure to come out. We'll be here worshiping and, and praying and really just seeking the face of Jesus. Seeking the face of Jesus. Well, if you could, if you could open up your Bibles to... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll probably be, do some bouncing around, some scripture today. Uh, you know, I, I do have a feeling that this might be more of, of, more of a teaching message uh, uh, than it is usually generally my usual style of preaching, but I really never know how things are going to come out until they start coming out, because this is fresh off the press, finished, finished it up this afternoon, so... Uh, you know, I really can't tell you how it's going to go until it's gone. And then if I ever preach it again, it might be different the second time. Right, Pastor Gary? Sometimes God just speaks uh, differently through, through, through a message. But um, I want to talk on the subject today uh, of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 is where we will start. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, he gave all these gifts, pastors, teachers, prophets, for what? For the, for the edifying and the equipping of the body. Because the whole body is supposed to be doing the work of the ministry, not just the leaders, not just the pastors, not just the mouthpiece, mouthpieces of the Lord. But we're all to be part of what God is doing here on earth. 
Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm on verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. Say grow up in all things, into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The title of my message is, We Are Good to Go When We Are Good and Grown. We are good to go when we are good and grown. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together and this privilege uh, that we have to break bread together, Lord, the spiritual bread, the bread of life, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to share your word. I pray, Lord, that I will deliver the word the same way that you gave it to me, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that it will be clear, it will be understandable, I pray against any distractions that would come against the preaching and ministering of your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a process that begins when a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior. He or she is born of the Holy Spirit and then chooses to live in Christ. The Apostle Paul said that spiritual growth is an on going process. And we see this to be true in his writings. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for, toward what is ahead? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle Paul realized that he had not arrived. Even the Apostle Paul knew that he was on a road to spiritual maturity, and yet he admitted that he was not yet arrived. The word maturity means the state, fact, or period of being mature or full-grown. Now, maturity with humans seems to be incredibly different than maturity in other things or even other species and other animals. We know that insurance policies and investments and bonds, if you know anything about that stuff, have maturity dates. You can buy a bond and... and and spend $100 on it, and in, and in 10 years, it'll be worth $200. But it's not worth the $200 until it matures. And so there's a time frame on when certain things mature. We've seen insurance policies and life insurance policies that have different maturity dates. This means it maxes out at a certain period or time. Science can, can tell when trees or animals are fully matured, often by the amount of time that they've been alive or just by their size or by looking at them. You can tell when something is fully mature. 
I am told that my dog, Banner, I have a dog, an American bully that I love very, very much. I love him so much that I was willing to spend $500 two days ago at the, at the vet. I'm telling you, I've been sick for two days over, but I love my dog, so it was worth it so he could get his shots and get some allergy medicine. Uh, he was suffering and itching a lot, and, and uh, I went to the store, and I, 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 I looked at the prices of Benadryl and, and Zyrtec, and I said, well, right, well, you know, how much could it be for a dog if it cost me 10 or $20 a month for medication? But, of course, for an animal, they know how to get you. All of a sudden, the same exact drug costs five times as much if you're giving it to an animal. But I've been told that uh, American Bully will be fully mature in approximately two to two and a half years. So he's still growing. In fact, I was told that the first year he'll grow in height, in size, in stature. And the second year to year and a half, he will spend growing in girth, and he will get wider and bigger and muscular. I've already seen my dog mature quite a bit because I remember bringing him home at eight weeks old and taking him on a plane, and I put him in this little tiny bag, and I put him like right under the seat in my aeroplane like, like he was a little suitcase, and he would stick his little head out every once in a while, and he just seemed so wonderful and nice. And then I brought him home, and, and I found out that when a dog is not fully matured, they just go to the bathroom wherever they want. Or better yet, they run around and chew and nip at everything. I thought, I mean, I never had a puppy before. And my, I would walk down the hallway and my dog would chase me and it would bite my pants and my sweatpants and I would have holes in everything. And, and I didn't, never had a dog before, so I didn't realize that this was like a stage that was going to pass. I thought that I just brought home Cujo. And when, when this dog got older and bigger, he was just going to tear everything up. But I learned he was immature. And he was going through a stage that was going to last a few months. And once he matured out of that stage, that he would no longer do that. And thank God, because that dog that was 10 pounds and this big when he was biting me is now 75 pounds and much bigger. So his bite would be a lot uh, more damaging. But he doesn't do that anymore because he matured. And certain things that he would do as a puppy and a younger dog, he is no longer doing. And thankfully, he generally doesn't go to the bathroom anywhere, but for some reason two days ago, he did in Josh's apartment. So uh, you're welcome, Josh, out of nowhere. But anyway, generally the maturity of animals is really judged by time, and they can really tell when an animal is going to be fully matured by its age. But you see, human beings are just so very, very, very different. Because I have met 40-year-old men that have the emotional and mental maturity of a teenager at times. And I've met 13-year-old young men and 14-year-old men, uh, young boys, that seem to have the maturity of a 30-year-old. And as human beings, we mature differently. We have, uh, we have decisions to make, our environment, what we're taught, how we're raised. All of these things generally play into our maturity level. And time is not always the greatest factor. Time is a factor. But 
Uh, I've even heard them say, scientists and doctors say, that when a person begins to use drug and alcohol or using anything that medicates them from dealing with their emotions, uh, even pornography or even, even cutting and different things that, 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 that people do uh, uh, when, they're, when they're struggling or having a life-controlling issue, actually their emotional maturity level tends to stop at the age that they begin to do those things. So that's why often men or women will come out of a life of drug addiction and it's almost like you have to retrain them to be an adult again because many of them started doing drugs and alcohol at a very young age and, 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 and their coping mechanisms never developed because instead of dealing with life on life's terms, as they say in the rooms, is, is they, they've medicated themselves not to deal with things. But, so because instead of dealing with troubles and emotions and problems, they used a drug or some kind of substance, their body and their brain doesn't mature to the level that, it, that, that, that a normal, natural person will. So later on, when they, when they get clean and they come off drugs and they come off alcohol or they stop doing the, uh, the things that they were doing to, to somehow medicate themselves, they begin to mature and they begin, they begin to actually grow up. And generally, if it's an older person it, and, and it's the Lord doing the, the growing up and the changing, he can often speed up the process. But nevertheless, there's a process that is not only tied in to time and age, but, but, but there's different things that play into it. See, humans are very different than animals and plants and trees and even insurance policies and investments and bonds. They mature at very different rates and uh, because of different, uh, different uh, circumstances. Some of the things that you'll, you'll, you'll see if somebody's immature or spiritually immature is they'll often uh, won't be able to make the right decision and do the right thing, even if they know what's right to do. They'll lack discipline. Often you'll see spiritually immature people are terrible receiving Correction. Have you ever been around a person that you just, I'm not talking about correction like browbeating or, or getting on someone's case or, or, or being abusive to them. I'm just talking about like maybe you could try a different way or maybe this would be a better approach and they just will not take any advice or correction. That is a sign of immaturity. When someone is immature or, 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 or lacking spiritual maturity, they're often self-seeking and, and also very selfish. As we know, if you've, you've had children, and I do, that, that, that generally a, a child is just worried about their toys, everything's theirs, give me this, I want that, you know, pick me up now. It's all about them. And we can become like that as adults if we do not mature correctly in the things of the Lord. Often immature people will compare themselves to everybody else and, and mat, try to match their life up with somebody else's. And I've also o o often discovered that we often, in our immaturity, will, will line up our lowlights 
with people's highlights of their life. We'll look on social media and we'll see how great and wonderful someone's life looks. And we'll, we'll feel insecure and we'll feel like, man, I'm just not up to that par. But then if you really know the person and you meet the person up close, you'll find out, man, they're really a fraud. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, compare my my lowlights, my 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 struggle, and my 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 circumstances that may not be the the, the best ongoing things in my life against their highlights and things that they want to show. But often, when we're spiritually immature, we'll often compare ourselves to other people and not know the difference. If we're spiritually immature, we'll often uh, will not honor our own words. I tell my children already at a very, uh, very young age is that all you have is your word in life. The only reason I am even standing up here today, other than the call of God and whatever preparation he had me do to get here, is because I was able to keep my word. And when my, when my leader or my, my, uh, uh, my boss or whoever he might, uh, might want to call him asks me to do something and tell me to be someplace at a certain time and to do something, when I said, yes, I will do it or I can do it, it got done. See, your word is very, very powerful. And, and spiritually immature people uh, won't realize that or won't put much value on their word. Mature people will. Because all you have in life is your word. That's all you have. Often immature people, spiritually immature people, will blame others for their troubles and won't take their own... Uh, uh, responsibility for things that have happened in their life. And listen, we've all had people do things wrong to us, and we've all had people use us and lie to us and cheat on us. But there comes a time where you have to take responsibility for your life, and you got to say, I may have not started out the best, but I'm going to do my best to fix it and, and, and take steps to, to make differences, to do the right thing. And see, a spiritually immature person won't do that. They'll, they'll get caught up in blaming everybody for everything situation that goes on on in their life and they won't take responsibility for where they are at that moment. But mature people will generally act a little bit different. See, mature people will often look to help others and, and be a blessing to people. Mature people will generally not only take uh, constructive criticism, but they'll actually seek out counsel and ask the hard questions. I know I have to email one of uh, my board members, and you know I have to do a presentation every every board meeting with like a, a report, and I have to kind of like you know uh, go over the highlights and and and. And it takes a lot for me to email one of my board members and say, you know, they always say great job, great report, but to email them and say, I want you to critique me. What can I do better? I mean, that is like the hardest and worst thing to do. But mature people are able to seek out correction and seek out constructive criticism and will take take correction from somebody that they trust and somebody that they love uh, uh, and they know that has their, uh, their best interests at heart. Mature people will do that. 
Mature people are confident in their own role and their position, and they'll understand that God has gifted them in a certain way, and they don't have to be somebody else, and they don't have to uh, compete with every other person. All they have to do is be the best that they can be, and, and because they're spiritually mature, they'll understand that if their gifting and their calling is not something you choose or, or something necessarily, uh, uh, your gifts uh, aren't necessarily something that you, you can develop. I mean, you can make them better and, 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 and hone in on, on your crafts. But generally, your gifts and your callings are given to you from the Lord. And they're there from birth and from a very young age. And a mature person will understand, listen, I'm gifted at fixing things, but I don't know how to public speak. Maybe I don't need to be going after some, something to, to speak or to teach. Maybe God has called me to fix things. And, and, and they're secure in that because they're spiritually mature, understanding that every body part in, in, the, in the kingdom has a part to play in, in, in what God has called us to do as a body. And spiritually mature people will understand that. And they'll be confident in what God has called them to do. Spiritually mature people are secure enough to use their mistakes to teach others. See, see, you have to be at a certain place in your life and secure in, in, in your life to say, listen, I, I'm not going to just use my successes and tell you about my successes so you can follow after me. I'm even going to tell you where I messed up and where I went wrong and where, where I was weak and, 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 and how that affected me to bless somebody else. See, spiritually mature people will even boast in their weakness knowing that it was in their weakness that God was made strong. Mature people will also watch their words. And, 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 and generally, people that are wise and, and that have a lot of wisdom, they'll listen a lot more than they speak. And, and they've lived long enough to, to discover that our words get us in trouble sometimes. I mean, I... I'm a little bit of a talker. I like conversation. But the older I get, the, 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 the more I realize I'm better off just not saying anything. Have you ever walked out of a conversation and later on say, man, did I really need to say that? You're just blabbering. It's like, did I really have to tell that person everything that was going on in my life? I mean, I have no idea why I just did that. But over a course of time, as you mature and you get older, you realize that it's better to listen more and speak less. And, and, and sometimes this is predicated on time. I mean, time helps all this stuff in developing you. But like I said, you can be 40 years old, 25 years in the church, and still be spiritually immature. So the question is, how do we become spiritually mature people? And as the Lord was giving me this word over the last couple days and downloading it into my spirit, I was kind of intimidated because, like, Lord, like, I'm going to stand up and talk about spiritual maturity. I, I don't always see myself as the most right person to be preaching and speaking about spiritually maturity because some of the things I'm talking about on both sides I'm guilty of. I'm guilty of. 
But the Lord began to, to speak his word into me and, and scriptures, and, 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 and I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. So if you could open up to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 18 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 18, uh, 8 to 14. I'm sorry, I said 18. 8, verse 8 through 14. Now, I have a lot of scripture I'm going to go through, and I could have cut it down, but we like the Bible here, right? We're, we're okay with the Bible? Verse 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by, by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Well, listen, I'm not saying you're dull of hearing, but we are definitely not going to go into Melchizedek right now, okay? But we are going to go into verse 12 and on. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, is those who by the reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now here is the whole thing in this portion of scripture as he talks about immaturity and, and needing solid food and, and being a babe and being full grown. He says, by the reason of use have had your senses exercised to both discern good and evil. What is the author saying here? He's saying you got to work it. He's saying that by reason of use, by, by, by using the word of God and walking with God and working this thing out and working your salvation out is how you become mature. See, see, there are certain things that you can read books about and you can learn about to do, but there's certain things you can't. And becoming mature in the Lord isn't something that you can just read about and attain. It's something that you have to work. It's something that you have to walk. That's why they call it your walk. How's your walk with the Lord? Because it's not something, I don't care if you're an absolute genius and you can memorize this entire book in a month until you start walking these things out you can know this whole book and be totally spiritually immature so it's not about memorizing scripture it's not about quoting things and knowing uh, history of of Israel and who the kings were and what they did wrong or what they did right it's by reason of use by walking this thing out that means making mistakes, having successes, being corrected by the Lord, being corrected by people, the Holy Spirit working with you in life. That's how you begin the process of spiritual maturity. It's like there's a couple things that you cannot be prepared for without doing. It's like marriage. How many people are married here, right? Isn't it the most wonderful thing in the world? Absolutely glorious. Glorious. I love you, honey. If you're at home, you're the best. But marriage, it is work. 
I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how big his biceps are. I don't care how handsome he looks when the wind blows. I don't care about any of that. You better put your boots on and your work gloves if you want to do this thing and do it right. And you can't teach that stuff. I remember going to marriage counseling before I got married. It's like, man, we're not going to have any issues. We're just, I just love you, baby. I just want to chase you around the house. It's going to be great and lovely. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. And then my pastor began to go through all these different things. And, but I remember him specifically saying, listen, we're going to go through all this stuff. But I want you to know, I'm always here. And what he was really saying is, I'm going to go through all this stuff, but you're going to need to come to me again because you're going to have to learn some of this stuff as you go. Am I right? Am I right for all those married people? Pastor Levi, you better not say a thing. I, Kat's staring right. I see Kat. She's got, the, she's got that backhand ready to go. Marriage. Another thing, parenting. Parenting. You can't, you, there's, there is no book, there is no one that can teach you how to parent. I mean, did you ever have somebody, <laughs> actually, we're going through that right now. I hope my wife's girlfriend isn't watching this right now. But, you know, she, unmarried, no children, and, you know, she's wonderful at giving my wife advice on, on how to raise toddlers, <laughs> you know. I mean, if, if, if you've ever had toddlers or, or especially multiple toddlers, and I know that you could, I mean, it's basically controlled chaos. You know what I'm saying? I, I walk in a room, and my son, he's three, he's three and a half years old, and he's standing on a dresser this high, jumping off on a mattress that he pulled off the bed, landing on the thing. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Oh, he's having fun. We're going to go to the hospital. Parenting, you can't teach in a class. I mean, you can get advice beforehand. You can figure it out. But I'm telling you, until you're in it and you know what it's like to raise a child and, and, and to walk them through life stages and different things, um, you kind of have to work it. And our walk with the Lord is like that. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily even happen unless you put the effort in for it to happen. And that brings me to, to my first point and how this process begins. There must be a strong desire to be like Christ. There must be a strong desire to be like Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says, and this is the Paul speaking to the church in Corinth who had all sorts of problems says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul had a strong desire to be like Christ. And what he understood about, and what many of us don't understand in the beginning of this walk with Christ, is although Christ wants to, us to experience, you know, the resurrection power and the glory of, of God, and we all want to be part of him taking care of our needs and blessing our lives, and he does. But we also go through seasons where we're associated with his sufferings. 
and that we are called to suffer as Christians. And we go through seasons where God will allow certain things in our life, whether it's rejection, to connect us to the, re- the way that Christ was rejected, or whether we go through uh, relational problems, or, or we, go through, uh, uh, we go through even health issues, or we go through people even uh, uh, using us or abusing us or talking down to us, and, and, and you say, oh, well, that shouldn't happen. Oh, if God's in your life, he should just fix all that stuff, and he doesn't. And some of it is because that's what Christ went through. That's what Jesus experienced. And Jesus held his character through all of that. He had a purpose and a call and a mission, and he didn't let anything that came his way distract him from that mission. And everything that comes your way to distract you from your mission in life also came against him. And yet he, he didn't sin. He didn't turn to the left, to the right. He could have changed circumstances. He's God. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he stayed on point, on focus, on mission. With all of that stuff happening. And we're called to do the same. We're called to do the same. There must be a strong desire to be like Christ Because we're not only like Christ in his glory, but we're also at times like Christ in his sufferings. Galatians 2.20, as was repeated, was said earlier today, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now this is Paul speaking again. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But he says, listen, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that live. And he said, I've been crucified with Christ. What did he mean? He meant, he meant that, 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 that his flesh and his life was crucified so, so that Christ can, can uh, uh, just like... Uh, 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 John the Baptist said, he says, he said, I must decrease so he must increase. What he's saying there is, I had to decrease and die to myself so that he could increase in my life. And, and there's nothing wonderful or pleasant about being crucified or denying yourself or pushing away the flesh or not doing things the way you want them or, or, or not treating people sometimes the way your flesh wants to treat them when they cut you off on the highway. You have to crucify that thing and sometimes it's uncomfortable but guess what it associates you with the life of Christ because Christ had to crucify every temptation just like you did the Bible says that he learned obedience through suffering through suffering he learned to be a son not because of the miracles not because of the resurrection he learned uh, through suffering and we must also suffer we must and that's where we get mixed up sometimes in the American church and, and, and we, we raise up weak un, uh, undoctrinated uh, biblically uh, illiterate uh, Christians because they don't understand that although there are wonderful parts of life and, and there is the blessing of God you too will face 
hardship. But what are you going to do in the midst of the hardship? Are you going to give up? Are you going to quit? Or are you going to say this can't be God? And the reason why many people say this can't be God and quit is because they haven't read the Bible in understanding that this thing is full of people that suffer and went through trials and struggles but kept on going because they believed in the promises of God. Spiritual maturity. There must be a desire, a strong desire to be like Christ. Because the natural man will never desire such a thing. Only a born-again man or woman would want to associate themselves with Christ, willing to pick up their cross and to follow him, knowing that means turning away from what they have learned and heard is good and right, to be associated not with his, just his death, but, but not just with his resurrection, but also with his death. The world will tell you you're crazy. The world will tell you you're crazy. You're supposed to know, no, no, you got to do what's right for you. You got to do what may, makes you feel good, and 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 you got to be happy. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be happy in life, and I'm not saying that God doesn't have good things because I have a very blessed and very, very grateful. The Lord picked me up from a low, 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 low place and has been so wonderful to me. But that doesn't mean I haven't spent nights crying on my pillow. That, that doesn't mean I haven't had to deal with betrayal of people and friends. It doesn't mean that I haven't been lied on and cheated on and stolen from. It doesn't mean that I, I didn't have to learn or am learning how to crucify my flesh, deny myself. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ. In God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication. Uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them, but now yourselves are to put off. What are we supposed to do? Put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with the deeds. You have put on, what have we done? Put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, if you don't have a strong desire to be like Christ, you're not going to put off all those things. And if you don't have a strong desire to be like Christ, you're not going to put on these things. To be spiritually mature, you must have a strong desire to be like Christ. My second point, spiritual maturity is directly connected to your obedience to God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 says, Now by this we know that we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, 
and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's pretty, pretty strong right there. But whoever keeps his word does what? Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Our, our obedience is directly connected to spiritual maturity. You cannot be disobedient to God and be spiritually mature. Oswald Chambers said, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. Some people mature to an understanding of God's will more quickly than others because they obey more readily. They more readily sacrifice the life of this nature to the will of God. So what is Oswald Chambers saying in that? He said, it doesn't have necessarily to do with time. People mature quickly when they're readily ready to be obedient to the Lord and, 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 and are ready to sacrifice the things of this life. What do, what, what do we do? Sacrifice the things of this life. Maturity doesn't happen on accident. And maturity isn't necessarily linked to the amount of time. I've met students come in the program and in three months be more, more mature than some of my staff. Oh, oh, I didn't say that, did I? Oh, my goodness. I didn't say that. Just kidding. Not really. John Bevere says, John Bevere says, physical maturity is bound to time, but spiritual maturity is bound to obedience. Physical maturity is bound to time, but spiritual maturity is bound to obedience. We discover what God expects us to be obedient to. How? How do we know what God wants from us? By the reading of his word. This is very important, and I'm going to say something that might be the most important thing I say to you tonight. We discover what God expects from us by reading his word. Until you know what God says, steer clear from the trap of depending on an immature spiritual ear. We have too many people that will, will tell you what God is telling them to do or how God is telling them to act, and it does not line up with this word. And I'm here to tell you, God is not instructing people to do things that don't line up with his word. We have this thing going on in the world that where people will say, well, my Jesus, this. No, there's not your Jesus. There's one Jesus, and he's the king of glory, and, he, and, and he's God, and he, and, he, and, he, and he is the word living. And if he is this word living, then he cannot contradict himself. So if he says that a lifestyle is sin in this word, guess what? It's still sin. You can't change that. And whether you say he's your Jesus or something else, or you say some God has spoken to you, it might be a God, it's not the big G-O-D, it might be the little G-O-D of this earth, and that is who? Satan. There are too many people that come up with their own word and their own, their own Jesus saying that, 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 that this is what God says to do. I listened to a, a thing today on YouTube about some, I don't know if he was, he had a collar on, I don't know if he was Catholic, Episcopal, whatever he is. But some of the things that he was saying, the way, well, Jesus, if Jesus was here now, he would do this, were so contrary to the Jesus that you're reading in the Bible. And I'm telling you why it's blasphemy. 
If anyone ever comes to you and said, the Lord told me this, and it doesn't line up with this word, walk away from them. If I ever tell you or say anything that doesn't line up with this word, walk away from me. God will never violate his own word and tell you to do something or contrary to his word. What is an example of that? God is not telling you to date someone else's wife. Oh, you laugh and you say, of course not. I mean, it's been done time and time again. Trust me on that. God will never tell you to sin in any way. When people say that their Jesus would accept certain lifestyles and behaviors that, 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 that are called sin in this book, it's still sin. The scripture we just read says, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But the only way you're going to know his commands is if you get in this book. You want to you, you know what God's will for your life is? Start here. Stop looking for a word from a preacher. Stop looking for a word from a prophet. I, I, I believe in prophecy. I believe in the counsel from preachers, but you need to get you need to get your head in this book and you need to read this thing. And, and the only way that you will be spiritually mature is if you begin eating and digesting this word. That's the only way. There's no other way. You can't obey something you don't know. How would you like to go play a game and nobody tell you how to play the game or the rules of the game? How could you possibly play the game? And we have a bunch of people saying that they're honoring God, and some are even in, in the church. They're not the church. They're in the church. And they, they come to play a game, and they don't even know the rules of the game, or they don't even know the structure of, of, of what they're doing. And you wouldn't show up to a ball field and play a game that you have no idea what's going on. You would have to learn and read and figure out what is the protocol and the policies? Well, this has our protocols and policies. So if you want to know what the will of God is and you want to be spiritually mature, start here. You know, we, we get caught up in asking God for, for a word and for direction, but we're not utilizing the direction and the word he's already given us, the written word. It's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. But we must be obedient, but we can't be obedient until we know what we're, we have to be obedient to. And here's where we find it. I mean, it's good to have mentors, and I'm, I'm totally for that, obviously, people to help you, but it's got to be based around this word. Number three, and I'm closing. The worship team can come back up. Spiritual maturity will have you living for his kingdom and glory and not your own. Spiritual maturity will have you living for his kingdom and his glory and not your own. When you're spiritually mature, you will look at your life and existence from a higher lens and see the big picture of what's truly important to God. You understand that although God is 
concerned about your problems and he's with you through your bad day. Life is bigger than your bad mood. Life is bigger than some of the trivial issues that we, 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 we get anxious and upset about. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care about the little things because he does. But when we become spiritually mature, we start looking at the big picture of things. And it's okay if everything is not perfect every single day. God is still in control. When we become spiritually mature, we understand that we really live our lives for an audience of one. When we become spiritually mature and we're living for his kingdom and his glory and not our own, the, the opinions of man will matter far less. We will see true success as fulfilling his purposes and not by man's materialistic and carnal view. You know, it's, it's funny. I've had, you know, people, you know, they'll get a new car or something and, and, and they'll send you a picture of it and, you know, they'll brag about how great it is. And, and I mean, it's nice and I'm, I'm, I'm happy, but, I mean, what, I, what it really excites me is seeing someone's life changed, seeing a testimony, seeing someone doing doing the work of an evangelist and going out there and doing something for the kingdom of God or giving something to the needy or, or serving people in some kind of way. And when you become spiritually mature, or at least on that, on that road, though all those things, although they're nice, they become less important. And other things become a lot more valuable. And I think the, as we close, the greatest example of spiritual maturity is found in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelry, and like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of maturity, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against there is no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Spiritual maturity. Let's stand.